This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. It's really the fact that GI as a service, gastroenterology, is primarily procedural based and such that those are significant revenue generators and had been an opportunity that was emerging throughout the 80s and 90s as we started to see gastroenterologists build ambulatory surgical centers to capitalize on that opportunity. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Tori Ritchie. Today, we're going to talk about digestive health, the most searched topic on the SG2 website during the month of July. We'll discuss both the clinical and strategic side of the topic and what that means for your organization. Today, I am joined by three of our fantastic experts, Justin Cassidy, our medicine service line lead, Matt Fidel, associate principal, and Adeline Gavinia, consultant, who are both on our consulting team. There's a lot happening in the space, and I want to start with the clinical side. Justin, I'm going to turn to you. I've heard you refer to digestive disease as the fifth of the four core service lines. Give us a little taste of what you're hearing in the space. It's a privilege to be talking about a topic that is of such importance to our members. This was a topic even before the pandemic that had been seeing accelerating interest in strategic growth. The reason we we're calling it the potentially fifth of the core four service lines is we think about orthopedics, cardiovascular, neuroscience, and cancer as those top service lines in terms of lucrative revenue generating potential. Digestive health in a wider sense certainly could fit the criteria there for growth. It's really the fact that GI as a service, gastroenterology, is primarily procedural based. Think about like endoscopy, screening colonoscopy, upper GI endoscopy, interventional endoscopy procedures and the like. Those are significant revenue generators and had been an opportunity that was emerging throughout the 80s and 90s as we started to see gastroenterologists build ambulatory surgical centers to capitalize on that opportunity. Now, health systems are seeing increasing opportunities for alignment and joint venture, and they're often experiencing significant problems profit margins with those sorts of ventures. That's why we're calling it such a lucrative opportunity. As we think about digestive health overall, it also clinically incorporates many additional aspects. As we think about kind of the upstream referrals into GI from primary care, this being kind of a specialty downstream that can be capitalized on those primary care expansions is a bit of a channel strategy, but also thinking about the downstream potential. If you're detecting positive results from uh, screening colonoscopy, that often then is a channel for cancer programs and the like. Thinking about a more expansive type of program, Tori, is probably where most of our clients are at. Digestive health is the perfect microcosm of all of the key themes that we talk about in healthcare these days. It has that channel management aspect. It has that consumer-driven aspect. It certainly plays into physician alignment and health equity. What are some of these struggles that members are coming to you with today? How are you helping them navigate this very difficult topic in terms of remaining competitive, but also improving access, driving home revenue? It's just a lot to juggle for organizations across the country. As the transition from inpatient to outpatient or ASC environment occurs, the physicians want to work with the health system in a different way. They understand that productivity is an important part, but they also understand that value and providing that at a lower cost is a critical element of increasing the quality and the value that they provide to the patients. But there are also innovative ways to partner with physicians in terms of equity and other types of medical director type of arrangements. We see this balance diverse portfolio of alignment models that the health system and physicians are coming together to provide solutions to some of those challenges with. I know access and consumerism is another area of focus. 
And I would add that on the consumerism side, patients want convenience, seamless access, personalized experiences and integration just across that entire system of care. For convenience, we know that there are health systems who are expanding their accelerated options when it comes to colonoscopies. Folks don't need to go into a office to do that initial appointment. They're able to schedule colonoscopies on the fly if they're eligible, if they're healthy, and there's no unusual gastrointestinal symptoms. So it allows them to skip that GI office appointment to be more in a convenient space in that. If you're able to then reduce some of those in-office visits, does that improve access in the brick and mortar location? Is that helping GI docs process a greater number of patients throughout the workday? Exactly. And there are other ways also to improve that efficiency in the clinic to create more access, providing those telehealth options, leveraging a care team approach, the advanced practitioners, empowering them to own their own patient panels, lead follow-up care, as well as help patients navigate the system. All of these items can create more space for more patients to get into the office. Adeline, those are all great points. Is this a growth story? Is there opportunity for these organizations to not only improve access, but actually drive volume over the coming years in the GI space? It's more on the surgical side that we've been seeing that progress. On the medical side, we're seeing an increase with our forecast projections for digestive health about 6% over the next decade. It's due to rising patient complexity and comorbidity. With GI and digestive health, the story has always been on the outpatient side. And well over 95% of all activity is outpatient in this space. As we're talking about those endoscopy procedures, overall for digestive health, we're seeing growth of over 20% over the next decade. Significant potential opportunity there. The other is changing policies that have led to an expansion of the ability for folks to be screened for colorectal cancer. And this is really the fact that 45 is now the new 50 for screening colonoscopy. And getting the word out about that is absolutely essential. And we've seen really impactful multifaceted marketing campaigns that hit at that and try to educate patients in primary care. But even engaging patients wherever they might hit your system, even in urgent care clinics, having those sort of fast track endoscopy procedures scheduled if a patient associated with the system is of 45 years of age or older, they'll get a referral, even perhaps having a procedure scheduled during that urgent care visit. So interesting and innovative results. And often those direct access endoscopy programs are those that are most impactful, those that can fill a patient's procedural needs within a week or so of scheduling. Patients don't forget, they're much more likely to show up and it's been a win-win all around. Just to piggyback on that, Justin, the payers are really creating value in terms of some bundles that they're working on with health systems to provide that preventative care in the form of those screenings, increasing compliance, providing the data to the health systems in regards to claims and really closing those gaps in care because they realize as our health systems and as the GI physicians that we've been speaking to understand that if we get that under control, there's really that less impact or less acute issues that could arise downstream. And if something is caught, the channel management story around general surgery, you're seeing it on oncology, you see it around medicine in regards to obesity and a number of other things, the connectivity to the preventative care being provided within this service line to the overall health system is a critical component and really why this has become a core strategy of theirs. Just think about the cost that can be saved by a payer if a screening colonoscopy procedure is performed as opposed to the need for the very expensive, costly and invasive therapy for cancer. Both of you all are touching on good points in regards to how do we capture patients and educate patients before and be a part of that preventative disease management. 
We know now more than ever, consumers are owning their own health and they're starting their own research instead of visiting a provider. I understand that about 90% of patients turn to Google before their doctor to attempt to diagnose themselves. And often these searches are for these stigmatized conditions such as bowel issues. As health systems think through their digital strategy, they should consider how to engage this population, answer their questions and gain their trust using blog posts or social media outreach and empower them to act and their purchase with their health systems. Excellent point about Dr. Google. It's important, though, that patients are not searching for gastroenterology or hepatobiliary or other words that are really hard to pronounce. They're searching for things like gas or bloating and the so-called functional bowel disorders like IBS that are much more frequent in nature. And so thinking about if, if you're going to be bidding on a keyword for a marketing campaign, those are the ones to capture. The really interesting thing, too, is one of the side benefits of having a job with SG2 is really what your search history becomes and thus the, <laughs> the, the ads that you're pushed on social media. I don't know about you all, but even in my personal social media usage, I get pushed these types of products that are coming onto the market. It's really interesting to see moving away from the traditional print material, you know, maybe a billboard or an ad in a magazine, and then seeing ads on Instagram about digestive health centers or a new type of medication for a particular condition that's coming down the pike. It's really interesting to think about emerging aspects of that digital marketing, Tori, thinking about channel strategy for other social media types that may not be as much on our system's radar. Thinking about TikTok, for instance, as a form to educate patients, but also as a marketing tactic. This is a great story from Dr. Andrew Albert at Advocate Aurora Health. He had a TikTok. He's a medical director there in GI, Advocate of Illinois. His TikTok was much better than anything I could do at about 1,800 views per post. Dr. Albert then posted a really authentic, candid, and emotional response, a reaction. After telling a patient that they had colorectal cancer and that it could have been avoided with a screening colonoscopy, that one post on TikTok went viral. As of mid-June, that post received 3.2 million views, 5.5K comments, 113 likes. This is notable in terms of the number of folks that were able to see that. Now a subsequent poster getting 350,000 views per post. So really a way to build that influence and promote other aspects of care, not just the need for screening colonoscopy, but the fact that 45-year-olds now qualify, the fact that certain folks that may be experiencing detrimental social determinants of health may not be as aware of these services and in outreach to black and brown communities as well. So really kind of an engaging and inspiring story that, by the way, doesn't really cost that much. And as the access becomes more convenient and the barriers to entry become lower, money is being drawn to this area. Health systems that may have delayed in investing in the outpatient are really getting picked apart by large physician practices and the private equity. When we talk to our members and we begin to look at that ambulatory surgery and center environment, we look at, is there a CON state? Is it easy to build our policies there? The payer pressure that we talked about, the alignment aspect. Just the other day, we were doing some research and the top three largest private equity GI practices have 300, 600, and 600 physicians as a part of their organization and they're growing. There's investors that see this. There's also individuals that believe that although the payment at the upfront is key and large, the downstream quality impact may be a little lower because of the lack of connectivity to the overall system across the continuum when you do see or diagnose something not having having the access to the surgery that you may need because it's not as connected. Are there major implications then on improving specialist access for those types of conditions as well? It's not so much just that general GI doc that you necessarily need to have available to patients. It's having availability for those subspecialists as well to ensure that patients are being seen in the right period of time. 
Exactly. It's one thing to have access to the colonoscopy or the endoscopy. It's another to have access to the subspecialist. And we're seeing that you don't need a number of subspecialists. You can have one or two to stay busy and to really be there as a support to those GIs that are really scoping on a regular basis. But I think there's a dramatic need there as well. As we start thinking more about those interventional endoscopy procedures like ERCP, the need to connect downstream to the specialist in a timely manner is absolutely essential. Those types of interventional procedures also much more frequently done at HOPD versus ASC settings. So thinking about the potential for procedural shift, the so-called outpatient shuffle between outpatient procedural sites, this is an interesting activity with the rising acuity, this sort of blending or blurring between boundaries of traditional endoscopy and surgical procedures. It's really intriguing to watch. Besides the subspecialty story, I think it's also important to highlight creating personalized experience and addressing the unique healthcare needs of women through specialized GI programs and services. Women and men may develop similar digestive conditions, but gender can affect the symptoms and the treatment recommendations. For example, in colon cancer, it's often located farther up in women and there are genetic mutations in their tumors that are different. And there's also pregnancy-related GI issues. Health systems should consider offering a range of treatment and prevention services designed to meet the specific physical and biological needs of women dealing with digestive disorders. And that's a really great point, Adeline, especially as we think about the American Gastrological Association. The fact that they have this metric, the adenoma detection rate, and that's traditionally was 20% of female populations, but expected to be 30% as a metric in male. They're re-examining that now and trying to get a grip on whether or not that metric should even have a sex-dependent difference in its utilization. The other big news on the quality front, adenoma detection rate is essentially when individual GI doc goes in with a scope, sees a polyp in order to remove it. That varies terrifically between individual providers. Thinking about from a quality perspective, Kaiser just published a significant study just a couple months ago, looking at three of their large markets and showing the variability of this adenoma detection rate. And that matters as we start thinking about pair alignment, because what Kaiser saw in their system was docs that had a lower adenoma detection rate thresholds we just mentioned. Those patients then went downstream and did experience cancer, even unfortunately mortality, despite the fact that they had that screening procedure. Thinking about aligning with those clinical quality metrics within a system can be a significant in emerging opportunity to engage with payers in a market. Before we transition to a subtopic here, I want to circle back to virtual health. Adeline, you mentioned virtual health earlier in this discussion. What's happening in the digestive health landscape from a virtual perspective? What new opportunities are coming onto the market in terms of improving access nodes for those patients? Our forecast projects that 30% of gastroenterology visits will be virtual by 2032. So health systems definitely need to design a virtual GI experience to retain recurring patients and serve those downstream procedural needs. There's so many interesting and emerging players in this space. There's some that are high tech, but low impact, like Vivante Health. They have things like microbiomic analysis, which is really exciting. As a researcher, this is really the future. It's going to be cool, but it's not really proven yet. They're selling tools and tactics that measure the microbiome and its activity. This so-called GI mate that is essentially a breathalyzer that you use after a meal to detect levels of hydrogen in the bugs that are digesting food in your gut. Maybe not necessarily going to be clinically useful, supposedly used for dietary guidance. But on the flip side, you also see more low-tech interactions that are highly impactful for patients. And so 
thinking about, again, those more stigmatized, lower acuity GI disorders, the functional bowel disorders like irritable bowel syndrome. A significant amount of Americans experience those sorts of symptoms, even one in six by some estimates. So big opportunity. But is that really the best use of your gastroenterologist's time? If they're procedurally motivated and inclined, if you have backlog of procedures, do you really want folks having hour-long sit and chat visits with patients about diet and so on? That's where some of these emerging virtual first care models come. Many are advanced practitioner first. Thinking about programs like Oshi Health, a new digital platform for GI that does offer those advanced practitioners specialized in gastroenterology under physician supervision, of course, the opportunity there to engage with patients with diet, nutrition, counseling, and at least pre-screening to determine whether or not a downstream procedure or potentially if they have a more acute condition, but essentially sort of decanting some of the visits away from GI docs such that they can enrich their portfolio with procedural activity. Even in the post-diagnosis of a chronic illness, leveraging the care team and navigators, working with pathology specifically, especially in this area, specialty pharmacy, Justin mentioned nutritionists, dietitians. We're seeing care teams be developed so that post-diagnosis, there's an organized aspect of, are there any gaps in care being provided and how do we really manage the overall person as opposed to the specific issue? Matt, that's really where the consumer-friendly services are really so essential to capture that recurring potential ancillary revenue opportunity from patients experiencing chronic conditions like inflammatory bowel disease. We've seen many clients actually develop an in-source specialty pharmacy, the sort of emerging biologics that are used to really effectively quell some of that inflammation, but also thinking about not just having the med, having the access to the med, but having consumer-friendly types of services wrap around that in terms of lab and diagnostic testing. And this is also important just from a traditional growth strategy is you want to retain those patients that are going to have the need for recurring diagnostic colonoscopies because of their heightened acuity, their condition. Justin, here's an area that I know that you keep a very close watch on, and that's our recent historic trend data in the space. What's fascinating is I know we just got some of those Q2 reports and outpatient surgery appears to be back in Q2 of 2022 compared to pre-pandemic levels. We've seen some actual growth in the space. This could be that pent-up demand population that we've been long awaiting to hit organizations. What are your takes on some of this latest data that we've been crunching particularly as it pertains to those GI procedures. Tori, this stems from a lot of the more preventative medicine that was curbed amidst the pandemic as folks were reticent to return to healthcare settings for screening procedures and the like. That deferred care has been leading to a bit of a backlog that now we're actually seeing screening colonoscopy hit at least 100% or a little bit more even than what it was experiencing in 2019. So we have seen that recover, but what we've seen concurrently is a recovery ranked by acuity. The pandemic did not shut down procedures like ERCP nearly as much. In fact, the recovery recovery of it subsequent has been significant above and beyond 2019 opportunities such that for that one procedure, we're seeing about 135% of what those 2019 numbers are to put it into perspective. And so we haven't really seen a significant increase in GI doc supply. A lot of the growth that we would experience from that backlog is not being met. It's instead leading to longer wait times for those more screening, lower acuity procedures, and then enriching the GI docs portfolio with higher acuity diagnostic holos and the like. These patients may have experienced a different type of screening modality like exact sciences, Cologuard, or stool-based testing. But the need then, if you have a positive or potentially a false positive, you still have to go in for a diagnostic colonoscopy downstream of that. 
the problem there is really productivity. The screen calls are much quicker turnaround time. But if you're going in with a diagnostic holo, often it can take double the time from a GI doc's perspective, upwards of 25 minutes as opposed to 10 minutes per procedure. Just thinking that the rising acuity leads to a productivity crunch and that procedural backlog that for savvy systems that can do a good job enriching the proceduralist activity, you have a significant market capture opportunity at your hands. With the workforce challenges, it just makes it harder to keep that productivity, even if you have it, to sustain it is a different question, which is why we're seeing a lot of organizations create a physician leadership structure very similar to cardiology, orthopedics, oncology, now in digestive health and digestive disease to provide that coordination of care and leadership at the clinical level of the health system, really driving growth in that area across the system. Finally starting to see that volume play out, it adds weight to that rising acuity story and those patients that do need those interventional types of procedures. I want to touch on social determinants of health. How are organizations meeting the varying needs of their patient populations, particularly as it pertains to SDOH initiatives? Somewhere where organizations are starting, and I think it's a great place to start, is reaching out to their communities and understanding the questions and concerns that they have over getting a colonoscopy or not having access to transportation after a colonoscopy. That is a good place to start, and as well as partnering with community organizations who may already have some insight or understanding of the community landscape. One social determinant of health that rises to the top for me is that sometimes isn't mentioned when thinking about GI is food security. So accessing that affordable, nutritious food is often overlooked and something that we mentioned a little bit about making sure that we are staying connected with dietitians. Health systems and providers should understand that role that food security plays in causing and treating GI conditions, as well as be aware that specialized diets that they might prescribe or suggest might be out of reach for some patients understanding how they can actually receive that food and engage in that community conversation to understand how to get that food would be beneficial. Yeah, because it's unfortunate that at times the good food costs more, the bad food costs less, making it very difficult for those individuals to realize that even if they do feel poorly, that that's not normal. That's a big part of the stigma around getting beyond the issues at the home and in the community and the issues that really impact the health care being provided. Poor health literacy truly is a significant struggle in relationship to food insecurity. We do see obesity programs often wrap up the wider digestive health umbrella. And certainly the multifaceted types of education that's necessary there is essential. We often see correlative statistics as we think about literacy in general and education level and how that correlates to screening colonoscopy uptick rates. And those with some high school or less often are much less compliant than those with college graduate or advanced degrees in terms of those screening procedures. As we think about race, ethnicity, and its impact, on screening colonoscopy procedures, there are also significant disparities. White populations traditionally more adherent, perhaps reflecting the underlying trust in the system. Surprisingly to some, Asian populations often are the least compliant for screening colonoscopy procedures. Thinking about that culturally competent, savvy outreach to all the communities we serve is certainly one to be impactful. And the example that I would use is Will Smith and his vlog of a colonoscopy a few years ago at the University of Miami. This was just posted on YouTube. It's absolutely hilarious. Within nine days, there were over two 2 million views. A pulp was discovered and he disclosed it and that potentially saved his life and or career. 
thinking about that is really important. Humor draws attention to these often stigmatized conditions can make folks more comfortable with the idea of a screening colonoscopy. Will Smith is not alone. There are also these so-called celebrity colonoscopy prep parties. Tom Hanks, Martin Short, and Steve Martin joined one a few years ago. Can you only imagine how that might have played out? But we think that there could be a similar sort of bump with this sort of awareness and campaign, similar to what we saw after the so-called Katie Couric effect, where the colonoscopy rates increased 20% in the days and months after she drew awareness via an on-air test in the Today Show in 2000. So significant opportunity there for engagement. I feel like we've reached really the tip of the iceberg in terms of how to start addressing some of these access concerns, how to educate patients, and really how to improve access and resources for those who are negatively impacted by social determinants of health. And while it might seem daunting, the fact that we're even able to have these conversations, that we have data to support some of the strides that have been made, it's an encouraging sign that we're moving in the right direction, at least. If we could just go around the group, and if you could name one thing you want organizations organizations to have top of mind when thinking through their digestive health strategy, that would be great. Justin, we'll kick things off with you. First, don't underestimate the impact of innovation in this space, the potential to actually take and cut certain volumes that your system may have taken for granted in the past. And thinking about those precision medicine types of approaches like exact sciences, Cologuard test, and what is that impact going to be on screening colonoscopy volumes in the years to come? love it or hate it, it's certainly going to have one. The other is sort of expanded tests, liquid biopsies, liquid tests for cancer with a blood draw. What might that impact your volumes, but then also your downstream? Most of the attention focuses on exact sciences, screening colonoscopy tests, but they also have an FDA approved test for liver cancer. Could expanding that offer a channel strategy of the future? Matt, we go to you next. One solution I would say is physician alignment and diversifying your strategy across your physician network, working with the inpatient GIs differently than you work with your ambulatory GIs, and then the channel management associated to when you get the patients into the system, keeping them in the system by providing them access to not only the surgical specialties that may complement the GI practice, but also the specialty pharmacy, the pathology aspects of it, nutrition and dietitian. Great. Adeline, we'll wrap with you. Keep the consumer front and center as you're thinking through the development of your plan. Think about how to make things seamless and easy for consumers to access your services, and that will go a long way. Justin, Matt, Adeline, thank you again for being here with me today. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments or ideas for episodes and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com additionally i recommend that you check out some of the other Visient podcasts which cover a range of clinical and operational areas those can all be found at visientinc.com backslash podcasts mm-hmm.